1: So Christians need to be diligent about disciplining our tongues and we need God's help in order to do so. All believers should take this to heart, not just teachers and leaders. All types of speech, whether it's public or private, must be brought under Christ's control. Disciplining the
0: tongue. Now there's an admonition for all of us. Welcome to another edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Lake Nishili. He's the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And as far as the tongue is concerned, the Bible talks a lot about the use of the tongue and uh, we're going to focus in on what's shared in the book of James today as Pastor Layton continues his study in that somewhat controversial book in the New Testament. I'll talk a bit more about the church and uh, some of the activities coming up at the end of our time together. Here's Pastor Layton.
1: I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James is considered probably the earliest book of the New Testament era. It's one of the most practical because James is not so much interested in a correct verbal expression of the Christian faith as he is in a living expression. He wants Christians to be better Christians. And it was written during one of the early periods of persecution against the Christians that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 8. And the persecution took place, and the the Christians were dispersed at that point. And so uh, Pastor James, who was the pastor of the first church that met in Jerusalem, was concerned about the spiritual well-being of his flock that was scattered abroad. And and so he's giving them instruction, and it's beneficial not only for them, but also for us. And and we've already covered chapters 1 and 2 in uh, previous sermons of this series, and if you'd like to uh, find those, they're available online at Highlands.us. Our study today commences with chapter 3, which reads, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And look at the ships also, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? A grapevine produce figs? Well, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So, James here is going to be giving attention to the tongue in uh, chapters 3 and 4. And uh, here he's warning about the potential destructive power of human speech. And then he goes on in the next section to talk about wisdom from above compared with wisdom from below. Then he rebukes his readers for quarreling and issues them a call to repentance. And then he tells his readers to stop criticizing each other. And all of these topics relate to speech and the tongue. Now, he's already introduced this topic in chapter 1, You may recall that in verse 19, he said, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then in verse 26, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So Christians need to be diligent about disciplining our tongues. And we need God's help in order to do so. All believers should take this to heart not just teachers and leaders. All types of speech whether it's public or private must be brought under Christ's control. King David was described as a man after God's own heart and he knew that he could not restrain his own tongue. And that's why he prayed in Psalm 141:3, "Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips." David Nystrom wrote, "A fascinating feature of this passage is that the discussion proceeds on two levels. At first blush, the text can be read, and rightly so, in a straightforward fashion, it's about the danger of the tongue, a small part of the body that can do great damage. But soon we realize that we're in the presence of a writer of great facility, for James deftly points to a second level of meaning via his double use of the word body, referring to both the individual and the Christian church. On this level, we see that teachers and leaders although a small percentage of the entire body of Christian community, are able to guide the whole church. And just as a rudder guides a ship with the tongue, leaders can direct or misdirect the whole community. In in 3.4, in verse 4, James notes that the critical issue with the control of the rudder is the nature of the pilot and his will. And so the question is whether the teachers are shaped and controlled by the will of God or the will of hell. Now, with that as an introduction, let's study this passage verse by verse. He begins by saying, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He says, Not many of you should become teachers. He's teaching us that we should not rush to being teachers. Um, You know, teachers in the early church were very, very important. Most of the early believers were slaves and they were intentionally illiterate. They were not educated. And so they depended upon the teacher to, to tell them what God's word says. And that's why the church has a tradition of such a dependence on the teachers and leaders of the church. And wherever they're mentioned in the scripture, they're, they're always mentioned with honor. At the church of Antioch, for instance, they are ranked with the prophets who sent Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary journey. That's found in Acts chapter 13. And when Paul lists the gifts within the church, they come second only to the apostles and prophets. That's in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. The prophets and apostles were always on the move because their assignment was the greater church, not a local church. And so they didn't stay in one local church very long. But the pastor teacher was assigned to a local church to to raise up new believers into a knowledge of the Christian gospel. And so what James here is warning his readers is to not be fast to take the role of a teacher unless they were fully qualified. And he calls attention to the outcome. He says, we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now Jesus said, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches, teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called Great in the kingdom of heaven. Now this verse has been taken out of context and used to support a concept that is contrary to the New Testament scriptures. It teaches that there are levels of holiness in the Christian community that that a pastor or church leader ought to be held on a more high level of holiness than a typical layperson. And the paradigm has its origin in the Old Testament temple. The Old Testament temple had a series of successive courts, and at the center was the Holy of Holies where the presence of God resided.
0: The outermost
1: court was the court of the Gentiles, and if you were Gentile, this is as close as you could get to God. This is as close as you could get to the Holy of Holies. Now, there might be some who say, well, what's a Gentile? In the scriptures, there's two types of people. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. The Jews are the the physical descendants of Abraham through Isaac, Jacob, and the twelve patriarchs. Why is that significant? because God promised Abraham that through his lineage, God would send his savior. And that's what happened in Jesus Christ. So if you're not Jewish, then you're Gentile. That's the rest of us. That was where we could go at the Old Testament temple. And then inside of that was the court of the women. And if you were a Jewish woman, you could go there, but you could go no further. And then inside of that was the court of the Israelites. And that was available only to Jewish men. And then inside of that, was the court of the priests or the holy place, and only priests could enter that. And then inside of that was the holy of holies, where only the high priest could enter, and he only once a year. And so the Old Testament had this hierarchy of holiness. But that model was discontinued by God when he tore the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies from top to bottom upon the death of Jesus. And the significance of that event is that the hierarchy has been done away with. We can have direct access into the presence of God through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, Lord, and High Priest. The Apostle Paul wrote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So in Christ, we are all one. Male, female, Jew, Gentile, layperson, leader, we are all one. There's no more a separate standard of holiness of one over another. Every believer has the same standard of holiness. What is that standard of holiness? Jesus said, follow me. That's the standard, and it applies to all of us. He says, We'll be judged with a greater strictness. You'll notice this in the future tense. He's not talking about a judgment here. He's talking about a future judgment. The teachers are going to be judged with a stricter judgment in the future by God, not people. You see, there are some people who mistakenly think that this verse entitles them to hold church leaders to some stricter judgment than they hold others. And that's not so. We all have the same standard. The writer of Hebrews wrote, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Who are they going to have to give an account to? God. Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. So what James here is saying is the teachers are going to receive a more strict judgment by God if they fail. Don't be hasty in wanting to be a teacher. And because teachers' primary teaching is through verbal communication, it was very important for them to maintain control of what they said, to think about what they said and make sure that it's right.
0: Well, we'll pick it up right there when we come back with the next edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. Of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, this is an outreach ministry of Church of the Highlands and is supported by your prayers and your financial giving. If you'd like to contribute to the ministry, join with us in that way. You can do that when you go to the website studyversebyverse.com. The church's website is highlands.us. And let me suggest that you click on the uh, growth group link on the homepage and learn how you can become a part of this learning experience that takes you deeper into the Word of God on a regular basis. That's the growth group link, that's not easy to say, Uh, on the homepage at highlands.us. We'll come back tomorrow and continue through the week in the book of James. I hope you can join us as we open the Word of God and study verse by verse.